The Interchange is brought to you by Wonder Capital. Wonder Capital is the leading commercial solar financier, and it got there by building a software platform that makes project underwriting faster, easier, and more efficient. To find out how Wonder Capital can help you finance your next community or commercial solar project, head on over to wondercapital.com gtm. Wonder Capital, powering the commercial solar industry. This is The Interchange, conversations about the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey, a contributing editor with GTM. I am joined by Shale Khan, my co-host and managing director at Energy Impact Partners. Hello, Shale. Hello, Stephen. Can't tell you how excited I am for this topic. How, how many episodes have we done of this show, roughly? Uh, I don't know, over 100. Over 100. Are you as surprised as I am that it has taken us this long to talk about transmission? Well, transmission is like... The most necessary topic, but one of the most boring topics. (laughs) Everyone agrees that we need more of it, but people don't really talk about it that often. So we ran out of interesting things to talk about. (laughs) Let me, let me make you this promise. By the end of this episode, you're going to think transmission is interesting. That's my, that's my solemn pledge to you. That's the goal of this show in general. So I, I hope we can do our jobs every week. Speaking of which, a couple weeks back, we asked, what do we do with all this distributed energy on the grid? This week, we're asking, how do we manage all this centralized energy hitting the grid? Centralized renewables, to be exact. The answer is simultaneously simpler and more complicated. Build a lot more transmission, yes, but getting that transmission in place is one of the hardest and most controversial elements of decarbonizing the electric grid. There's disagreement about how exactly we clean up the grid, but whatever your preferred plan, it probably needs to include a lot more transmission. It's an uncomfortable truth for some. So we're going to look at why transmission is needed, what exactly is needed, and if we can even build it. First, to the why. So we've been digging through a bunch of reports ranging from 100% renewables modeling to economy-wide electrification to utility-specific carbon-free goals. And basically everyone agrees, if you want to hit them, you got to build more transmission lines. Shale, what is the current research telling us? I think one of the more surprising things when you do a relatively comprehensive review of all the research about the future of electricity, and particularly a deeply decarbonized future of electricity in the United States, is that there is pretty broad agreement that in almost any circumstance, once we get to higher levels of renewables on the grid, we're going to need a lot more transmission. Um, high voltage transmission in particular. You remember there's this debate going on between sort of a couple of camps in the in the world that agrees about climate change being a big issue, where there's some folks who say we need 100% renewable energy and other folks who say we need 100% clean energy, the difference being things like, whether you include things like nuclear. Um, that's a that's a rift, but this isn't. And, and I just checked out models on both sides of that debate, and they all agree that there's like a prominent role for expanded transmission in a deeply decarbonized world, whether it's made up, you know, just of renewables or of renewables plus nuclear and other things. Yeah, it's not just a prominent role. It is the backbone of the plan, of either plan. Right. And yeah, and it sort of stands to reason, right? You, you could just think about think about the U.S. and like imagine the map um, layers on top of it being where is there a good solar resource and where is there a good wind resource? They tend to be different places. There are a few places in the country where you've got overlapping good solar resource and good wind resource. But in much of the country, you've got kind of one or the other in spades. And 
to get to deep decarbonization, when you want a lot of renewables on the grid, it's much better for you to have at a minimum a balanced profile of both solar and wind. They complement each other reasonably well. So in order to do that, you know, transmission becomes super important. Not to mention the ability to actually generate, you know, anywhere near 100% of our electricity using renewables requires a lot of land. Uh, and that land tends to be available in places that are further from the urban population centers where there's demand. And thus, again, you need transmission. I think there's a new twist on this as well. Many people who follow this understand uh, intuitively that you're going to harness a lot of renewables away from load centers and you need to build transmission. That's just known in the industry. But what we're having now is a new conversation about electrification, economy-wide electrification, electrifying the heating sector, electrifying transport. And this adds a whole new element to transmission development. It means we have to add hundreds of gigawatts of new capacity over the coming decades to meet what people think we're going to need to electrify the economy. And so this, this adds this whole new dimension beyond just renewables. Right. Yeah. And there was actually a good study recently that the Brattle Group wrote um, on behalf of the Wires Group, which is admittedly sort of a uh, transmission advocacy group. So take it with a grain of salt, but Brattle's credible themselves. And they estimated that just they're just looking at exactly what you said, the amount of transmission that we'll need to support electrification. Uh, and they estimated we need another 30 to $90 billion of new transmission by 2030 and somewhere between 200 and $600 billion by 2050. That's somewhere between 50% to 170% growth over the current amount of transmission that we've got. And one of the interesting things that they were proposing as well is that one of the, as we electrify transportation um, and we install more and more of these DC fast charging corridors on major highways as we want charging infrastructure. And I think this becomes doubly true when you start adding like electric trucks that actually pull a huge amount of load. You know, the Tesla supercharger for the semi in theory would pull like two megawatts for a single charge. Um, You actually might want transmission lines sort of along those corridors for the same reason so that you can plug your DC fast charging directly into them. So electrification is just another reason why you need a bunch of new transmission. How much do you trust those numbers? Brattle is, of course, a very reputable group. They've put out fantastic research over the years on a variety of related issues. And of course, we rely on a lot of industry figures. And at Green Tech Media, we have partnerships with associations where we use our data and their expertise and combine them to release reports. So it's common that you have reports like this from industry associations. But still, I'm sure there are some skeptics out there saying, well, of course, the transmission industry is going to say that we need, you know, hundreds of gigawatts of new capacity and therefore tens of billions of dollars of new transmission lines. Um, What do you make of this coming from an industry group? I think it's a fair question. Uh, Obviously, you know, the the source of the report has a viewpoint and that viewpoint is reflected in the report. So I think it's fair to question that. I mean, generally, I I think in cases like that, you, you just need to dig in deeper and see if you agree or disagree with any of the assumptions in the report before you throw it out. But let me just you know, offer you an alternative then if you if you're looking for somebody who I think generally should be viewed as unbiased, which is NREL. Can we we agree that the National Renewable Energy Lab is generally an unbiased source of information on stuff like this? We definitely agree. 
Okay, so this is back to looking at how much new transmission we're going to need for decarbonization as opposed to electrification. So the current transmission capacity in the United States is is in the range of 150 to 200 million megawatt miles. That's how you measure transmission lines. So 150 to 200 million today. NREL has done all this amazing modeling in their renewable electricity futures study, which is actually a series of studies. Um, the takeaways for me are, in NREL's estimation, to get to 50% renewable energy penetration in the United States, you need to add roughly another 40 million megawatt miles. So that's about a 25% increase over the ter- current amount of transmission we've got in the US. But if you want to get to 90% renewable energy penetration, you know, if you're trying for deep decarbonization, then you need about another 200 million megawatt miles, which means you need to double the total transmission capacity in the United States, which is no small task. So speaking of NREL, they also model resource availability for distributed resource. And they took a look at the U.S. solar resources and found that if you put solar on every available rooftop with suitable resources, you could only hit 40% of U.S. energy supply. Now, that's a crazy number, but it still means that you have to build out a lot of other transmission if you want to get to that 85 90% number. Yeah, I mean, I think we get to this when we start talking about the arguments against new transmission. Certainly one of the main ones that some folks will make now is that we don't need new transmission or a lot of new transmission because we're going to have an increasingly distributed grid. And so the distribution system matters, but the transmission system doesn't. And, you know, there's definitely some push and pull there. The more distributed energy resources you get, the less transmission you need. But at least my read of the research is that even if you make some relatively aggressive assumptions about how much distributed energy we're going to build out over the next decade or two, you're still going to need a whole lot of new transmission if you're trying to decarbonize the grid. And it, worth noting that like the, the places that have decarbonized the fastest in the U.S. did so in large part because they built transmission. Texas is your perfect example of this. I mean, this is how Texas became the leading wind power state in the country, which is that they basically started by building transmission. They built out a bunch of transmission starting in in 2006, and then they created what they call these CREZ zones, the uh, clean renewable energy zones, which are sort of zones that are near to the transmission that they were building or that they had built, um, where you know, they would make it easy to build wind. And then tons of wind followed, like 20 gigawatts of wind got built out as a result of that. So it's it's a proven mechanism to get a lot of renewables on the grid. Well, coming up, we'll talk more about projects that are delayed, planned, and the complications around getting towers in the ground, because printing numbers in a report is one thing, putting those towers in the ground is another. First, consumers are increasingly investing in community solar projects because they like the idea of local generation. Whether transmission lines are needed or not, people just love the idea of local generation. And you, the provider, you're trying to meet that need. But I'm guessing you're frustrated by financiers' slow processes and inflexible offerings. It's a real barrier in this industry. Wonder Capital can help. Wonder recently launched a progressive community solar offering dedicated to financing projects in ways that other lenders can't. So community solar projects through Wonder, they can have 100% residential offtake, hefty termination penalties, long-term contracts that drive away consumers, and subscriber FICO scores are not required. 
Head on over to wondercapital.com GTM to submit your solar projects today. Okay, we have clearly established the need for transmission. The numbers are pretty evident. Now, why can't we get this stuff built? Shale, there are a lot of complications with building out transmission lines. What are the main ones? Yeah, so we have actually a pretty, unfortunately, a pretty long list of recent, relatively recent rejections of planned transmission lines um, or just failures of planned transmission lines in the United States. I'll give you a couple examples and then we can talk about what caused those rejections. But a big one was last year in 2018, the state of New Hampshire rejected a transmission line that was supposed to bring this excess clean hydropower that Quebec has, um, has this big surplus of excess hydro, and to bring that to Massachusetts. New Hampshire rejected it. New Mexico- That is the Northern Pass Project. That's right. Uh, very well known here in the Northeast. As a resident, former resident of New Hampshire, and a now Massachusetts resident who would be benefiting from that power- uh, I and many others have been following it closely. Super controversial. Right. There's a bunch of other ones. The New, New Mexico State um, PRC rejected a line called the Sunzia line. Uh, a, a fun one that's a small one. A federal appeals court earlier this month rejected uh, a, the Army Corps of Engineers approval of a 17-mile, very small transmission line in Virginia, which was actually already operating. It had been built already by Dominion Virginia Power and was operating and now is in question. And then there's a whole group of transmission lines. And here, let me just make a plug for a second. Um, I'm going to talk about Clean Line, which is probably the most prominent sort of company that was built to solve this problem. Um, and a lot of the knowledge that I've got from it is from, I have an early copy of a book that's going to come out soon. That's written by Russell Gold, who's a, a friend and a journalist at the Wall Street Journal covering energy, um, called Superpower, One Man's Quest to Transform American Energy. It's about Michael Skelly, who was the founder of Clean Line before that, was one of the early pioneers in wind in the United States. And it's just a fascinating read and really drives home the challenges of getting this stuff done. So Michael Skelly creates this company, Clean Line, to build large high-voltage transmission lines in the United States, largely to get wind power from the Midwest to places with load. And it's just a decade-long saga of troubles. They have a few projects that um, sort of made made some progress, but then various states killed them. The, one of the projects, Plains and Eastern, was basically killed by Arkansas. And there's a whole saga with Tom Cotton, the senator there, and um, being in opposition to it. DOE was in support of the project and then eventually bailed on it in 2018. There's another project that Missouri rejected and then reapproved just very recently after 10 years. Um, meanwhile, Clean Line basically had to sell off all of its assets in pieces. So Invenergy bought some, NextEra bought some. Um, so, you know, this is just, it took them, they started in like 2009 or eight, actually, something like that. Uh, and after a decade, like these things are still in the planning process. Yeah. And you have a lot of these joint partnerships uh, that act kind of like startups when they initially start planning these lines. And Ultimately, this is like one of the, if not the hardest pieces of infrastructure. And so if you kind of think of these companies as a startup, even though it's a lot of big infrastructure players working together, I mean, it's one of the more complicated business models in clean tech right now. 
Yeah, I mean, what you have to do to get a transmission line, especially across multiple states approved, is uh, scary. I mean, it's it's impressive that anyone tries, really, especially startups, because between all of the local politics that you have to deal with, the state level politics, the the federal politics, approvals, the economics of the whole thing, you have to actually find a seller on one side, meaning a, a you know generators who will sell power, and buyers on the other side, meaning utilities. I mean, it's a very it's a very difficult business. Actually, one of the I thought most interesting anecdotes um, that I didn't know from from Russell Gold's book is that right after the 2008 election, before he took office, so while he was president-elect, um, Obama considered, he was, he was sort of trying to figure out what to do with the stimulus package, knowing that they needed to inject a ton of money into the economy. And they briefly considered the idea of a massive transmission build-out as being part of the stimulus package. Apparently, according to the book, um, Biden liked the idea, Obama kind of liked the idea, but ultimately they they killed it for a mixture of what sounds like sort of political reasons and practical ones. The, the political reasons being the ones that I think we're about to talk about, all the things that make it difficult to build transmission. The practical one being you know, the timeline, which is it takes years, if not decades, to get transmission lines built, and they needed to deploy money fast in the stimulus package. But it's unfortunate that it wasn't incorporated in that, because that was the last big infrastructure bill of any kind uh, that we had, and was, you know, an opportunity to to do something really massive. And the Trump administration since has mentioned transmission build out and some of its preliminary documentation on priorities for infrastructure build out. So they've toyed with the idea of supporting transmission lines. I don't know exactly how the federal government would do that. But what does it say about the politics that during this really pivotal moment in infrastructure development, the administration walked away from it because it was too hard? You know, the the politics to me are kind of inverse to renewable energy. They are still kind of controversial on the national stage, but everyone loves them locally. But transmission is something that people talk about us really needing on the national stage, um, but nobody wants it locally. And because you have all these local land challenges and permitting challenges, everyone kind of walks away from this difficulty. Yeah. So I, I think the biggest issues that new transmission lines face, I mean, the obvious one is they have to be built somewhere and kind of anywhere that they're being built, you have landowners that you have to to deal with somehow. You compensate them or you, you know, if they put up a big fight, then you try to find another pathway. Um, and if you can't do that, then you have to fall back on eminent domain. And that's sort of the worst case scenario. You want to do that as little as possible and you need approval um, from the government to do so. The other thing that I think is a consistent challenge, this was the Northern Pass, New Hampshire example. Um, this is the Missouri example for clean line is states in the middle. So if you're trying to bring you know, clean power from state one to state two, but it has to go through state three, is the folks in state three tend to oppose it the most vehemently. They'll get compensated generally, um, but you know their view on it is, well, this benefits state one because they're producing all this power in state two because they're consuming it. What do we, what do we care about this? And so you have this intractable problem of states that lie in the middle of the transmission line. And I think in that clean line example, what they did is, is said that they would sell a certain amount of the electricity to local municipal utilities in those in-between states. And so that made regulators happier. 
and more willing to uh, consider the line. So that's one workaround. Yeah, I don't think that's always a workaround, but that's one option. I mean, I think there there are a bunch of different solutions that if you're a transmission line developer, you sort of tick through to try to deal with the states in the middle issue. Certainly one of them being provide some power to whoever needs it in the in the middle states, but that doesn't always work. I will say I got a copy of Russell Gold's book in the mail. I was not able to read it yet, but I know he's on our side that he thinks that transmission is exciting. So <laughs> we're going to have to get him on the show when his book is actually released. And I read that preliminary copy. But, you know, certainly he thinks it's exciting if he wrote a whole book about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's God, it's like it's we talk about big visions, right? This is less sexy, right? But everybody, one of the reasons that um, Elon Musk captures the national attention in such a unique way is that he has a huge vision. He's like trying to, you know, transform transportation to electrify it. He's trying to send us all to Mars. These are big ideas. Transmission may not be like sending us all to Mars, but it is a big idea. Like imagine tomorrow you trying to start a company where you said, you know what I want to do is I want to enable wind from the Midwest to be consumed in the Southeast. And I'm going to enable high renewable penetration in the United States, but it's going to take me 10 to 15 years to do so. And there are like hundreds of binary risks along the way. I mean, that's a that's a serious challenge. What the hell, Musk? Why are you focusing on the boring company and digging tunnels when you could be building towers above ground? Actually, I mean, we, we should talk about this, but not that the boring company could do it, but sort of digging underground is one of the potential solutions to some of these challenges. Underground lines yeah, absolutely. Is, is something. But I, I would love it if Elon Musk said, you know, my next big thing, forget Hyperloop, my next or neural net or whatever else he's doing, Neuralink. Uh, my next big thing is going to be I want to be the one to drive forward a, a national high voltage transmission grid. That'd be amazing. So up until now, we've been both in agreement about the need for transmission. And I'm sure there are some people out there who are pulling their hair out, who are against such a big build out of transmission. Maybe you've had personal experience with fighting some of these lines, because that's actually pretty common when you look at the projects that shale outline. There are tons of believers in renewable energy who, when it comes down to the local issues, hate the idea of these transmission projects going through their backyard. So that's a big issue, right? And and I want to talk about the land problems that lo local residents are facing and developers are facing and, and how we deal with those. So let me personalize this a bit for you, Shale. I know you're convinced that we need way more transmission. I am as well. Would you support an 800 kV line within sight of your home if a developer came to your community and said, hey, this is absolutely necessary for bringing more renewables online. We have to have this line to meet California's renewable energy goals, whatever it is. Um, would that change your mind about transmission if it was going right through your backyard? Yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, you're asking whether I will suffer from nimbyism when it, it comes uh, to my front door. And it I wish that I could definitively say, no, I will. I would love transmission anywhere near my house and I will never have a problem with it. I, I Realistically, I think I would have some concerns about it. And I think there would be a number of factors that would determine my ultimate decision. One would be how close to my home and you know what 
view does it obstruct? What view does it not obstruct? How obtrusive is it? I mean, I, I live in an urban environment. I have power lines already sort of running all around. And I, you know, you, they kind of blend into the background in urban environments, I think. You don't see them anymore after a little while. If it's like that, or if it's a little bit off in the distance, then I think I could get on board with it. If it's going to, you know, totally ruin my backyard, um, then I might feel differently about it. Also, will I be compensated? It's a, it's a real question, um, and you know I would want to understand how they're how they're dealing with me as a landowner. But but I am sensitive to the fact that you know I'm in an urban environment, so I'm used to having things obstructing my views, whether it be other buildings or power lines or or poles or whatever. If you're in a rural environment, which is where a lot of these transmission lines actually go. Um, I think it's more important to you that you have an unobstructed view. And that's why you've had so much challenge with those folks, uh, whether it be for transmission lines or wind, right? Citing wind has been a big issue too. Yeah, for me, it's also location dependent. And I'm sure Midwesterners or Southeasterners are going to seriously disagree with me here. But I tend to support transmission more in wide open spaces. So if it goes through an area of the desert that's not too sensitive in terms of wildlife or a you know big, big major swath of farmland where you can farm around it and it's just wide open space i treat that differently than you know closed mountainous spaces obviously areas that i grew up in where you need to um, obstruct views by putting them over ridge lines to me it just feels very different so i think if i were you know living in a heavily forested and mountain area i might have more of a problem than if I lived, say, in the Midwest, where there's just way more wide open space. With that said, you know, your home is your home and you feel the same way about it, no matter where you live. And I guess to overcome that issue, it would be all about how they treat the landowner in terms of compensation, and not just direct compensation for me, but what's it going to do for my community? If it just feels like someone coming in and slapping a bunch of towers through my community with no local benefit, I'm probably going to be way less likely to support it. Yeah. So I think it's important for those of us who are proponents of transmission build-out to recognize that it is not just infrastructure in the ether. It is, uh, it's a land use question and a local community question. And, you know, those are, those are real challenges that shouldn't be discounted, um, despite the fact that we think that there's value in building out more of this stuff. So that brings us to the other debate about the need for transmission. How much of the distributed stuff can we use to offset new investments in transmission. So why don't you outline that debate, that distributed versus centralized debate, and what it means for how we uh, model and plan transmission. So, uh, you know, I don't know how strong this debate is, really. I guess we'll find out after we release this episode and people angrily comment. Um, But there's this broader argument going on about the degree to which we should see decentralization on the grid. And I think the further along that spectrum you sit, in other words, the, the more decentralized you think the grid should ultimately become, the less transmission you're going to think that we will need um, and vice versa. You know, to me, I, I sit somewhere in the middle. You know, I, I'm excited to see more distributed energy resources. Um, but I think that in order for us to move as fast as we need to move to decarbonize the grid, we're going to need a lot of centralized resources as well. And as I said at the beginning, you know, just given the nature of land availability and resource 
for those resources, um, that necessarily means we're going to need a fair bit more transmission. There is a separate argument that probably is worth us spending a moment on, which is more about resiliency. Yeah, but hold um, on. I, I, I want to challenge your assumption there because I actually do think that there's an important debate going on around this issue. And it may not be necessarily around transmission, but it plays out elsewhere. So a lot of environmental groups have been very opposed to large centralized CSP and PV projects out in the desert that do threaten certain kinds of wildlife. Uh, Many of those groups then point to distributed resources and say, hey, we don't need these projects. We should just rely on distributed solar or more localized wind or energy efficiency. And so it may not be specifically about a transmission line, but I think it's an offshoot of this debate. And within that debate, you you tend to see more specific arguments about the need for transmission. But it feels like all the same kind of family to me. I guess I, and sure, this is subjective, but to me, those voices are pretty quiet in the debate. You know, I think there's a much louder group of voices, even among the environmental advocacy community, who are for rapid decarbonization. And rapid decarbonization to them and, and to me means building both centralized and distributed renewables. And in order to to maximize the centralized part, you build out some transmission. I mean, Sierra Club, for example, I think got on board with um, some of the clean line plans, you know, which is sort of an organization that I, I view as a bellwether for the environmental community. So to the extent that there are folks who are saying don't build any new transmission, but still deeply decarbonize the electricity sector, I just don't think they're they're that loud in the conversation. So what about the resiliency piece then? Well, so the other debate that I guess is going on, this is relevant to California because, um, you know, we're still figuring out what the exact causes were of the wildfires that we've had over the past couple of years, but it looks possible, if not likely, that um, some of them at least were caused by faults in the transmission system. Um, And so I've heard some folks make, I think, a somewhat reasonable argument that, you know, if you build out a lot more transmission, one, maybe you have higher risk of damage and wildfires and things like that. But more broadly, it also makes you... uh, really sensitive to those lines. If one of those lines goes down for whatever reason, um, it was carrying a big chunk of capacity that you need. Puerto Rico being the other big example of this, right? Like what happened in Puerto Rico in part was the transmission lines went down. So I've heard some folks making an argument, this is sort of related to the decentralization argument that you know the more you have decentralized resources um, that are more variable, the less you are reliant on a single line. And so the more resilient you are. Yeah. I mean, the trade-offs are really important to consider. There's trade-offs for everything, as we know, and it's going to be very geographic specific. And if there's a real wildfire threat, then California is going to have to seriously consider how it encourages utilities to plan transmission or take apart transmission infrastructure or figure out how to harden it, uh, lower risks. I mean, this is not just, hey, let's build towers everywhere we can to connect renewables. It's going to be very, very state and region specific. But we already knew that, didn't we? (laughs) Right. And actually, one example where location specificity proves may prove to be a benefit is there's a new planned project um, that's come from a new startup called Direct Connect Development Company or DC DevCo. They're developing a basically a 350 mile 2.1 gigawatt 
HVDC line um, that is similarly to some of the clean line plans supposed to bring wind power from Iowa to Chicago. Um, And it actually just got acquired by a combination of Siemens and Copenhagen infrastructure partners. So it has a real balance sheet behind it now. The thing that is makes it sort of unique and why it's location specific is that their clever solution to all of these issues is that the entire line is supposed to run underground. And the way that they're able to do a fully underground line is that it runs alongside a rail line, um, which is clever because you can, you know, we, we haven't talked about it much. You can underground transmission lines, but at least with the current technology, there are a lot of challenges. You still have to deal with land use issues. Most cases, um, Drilling can be somewhat expensive. You can't underground everywhere. It depends on the the nature of what's underground. But if you can find a way to do it, like you know, making a a straight line along a rail line, um, then that's a clever solution, I think. So I suppose we should end with a look at the politics of transmission or the lack of transmission in our current politics. We, of course, have been talking about big, bold. Uh, detail-free plans like the Green New Deal. And uh, transmission is conspicuously absent from that plan. I want to talk through why it's absent and what some of the hard choices we'll need to make politically if we end up pursuing something like this ambitious Green New Deal over the coming decade or decades. Yeah, I mean, I think it's notable how little transmission plays into the things that we do see today. We have all these states passing these 100% renewable or clean energy targets. We have the Green New Deal itself, most of which don't mention transmission at all. Or if they do, it's just as a generic, we need to build out the grid kind of a thing. So, uh, you know, it, it feels to me like that we're just kicking the can down the road on something that is going to have a very long time horizon once we start to figure it out. Now, admittedly, it's not a state-by-state issue. So if a state passes a 100% clean energy goal, it doesn't necessarily mean they need to build that transmission. But I, I think they should at least be um, acknowledging it as a, as a core component. And things like the Green New Deal, th- that's one where you know they were, I think, somewhat clever in the wording of the Green New Deal so as not to pick any of these fights. They tried not to pick the fight about nuclear, and this would be another one that they're probably trying not to pick. But at the end of the day, whether it comes via something like a Green New Deal or via an infrastructure bill, you know, a big transmission build-out would be a valuable thing to incorporate. Right. Um, and we're talking about this as if it were a real plan. You know, It's like a one-page document with very little detail. But still important that they avoided talking about that issue. And once again, we're having a major national political discussion about long-term infrastructure development and transmission is absent because it's so tough. Tells us a lot about uh, this topic. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real challenge, but there there are glimmers of hope. You know, I mentioned that one project. You know, some of those clean line projects actually are still going forward. Like I said, Invenergy and NextEra bought a couple of them and Missouri as I mentioned before, just re-approved um, a four gigawatt project that's going to start in Western Kansas. So, you know, it's not um, it's not completely intractable. It's just I think we I think we need to elevate it to a more prominent role in the conversation about climate change than it currently holds. Well said, sir. Now let's see what kind of angry feedback we get from people. 
yeah, this seems like one where the uh, the inbox is going to fill up pretty quickly. That or nobody finds transmission as interesting as me. Those are the two possibilities. <laughs> yeah, most likely we'll just be talking to ourselves. Well, if you want to sound off on this issue, hit us up on Twitter as usual. Interchange Show is there. Shale Khan is there. Stephen Lacey is there. Give us a rating and review anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts is the best place. And most of you are Apple users. We can see it in the data. So hook us up with a rating and review. It really helps us climb up the rankings in business podcasts. With Shale Khan, I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Interchange, conversations about the future of energy from Green Tech Media. Green Tech Media.